PenPod, internal medicine podcasts from the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. The purpose of this podcast is to give you an overview of targeted temperature management as well as getting you familiarized with the protocols at Penn. As this topic is very, very complex, this podcast is not meant to be an in-depth analysis of the literature and the topic. First, I'm going to start with some logistical stuff. If you know you're about to rotate through an ICU and potentially take care of a post-arrest patient, I would recommend you take a look at the Penn Targeted Temperature Management Clinical Practice Guidelines. That can be found on the Penn Pathway, as well as the TTM order set in EPIC. All post-cardiac arrest comatose patients, regardless of their initial rhythm, whether it's shockable versus non-shockable, and the location of their arrest, out-of-hospital or in-hospital cardiac arrest, should be evaluated for active targeted temperature management. Unless there's a clear contraindication, most should qualify for therapy. The rationale behind targeted temperature management in post-arrest patients without a mental status, defined as the inability to follow commands, is that neurologic injury is the most common cause of death in these patients. Hyperthermia in these patients is associated with worse neurologic outcomes, and therapeutic hypothermia, another term for TTM, has been shown to improve neurologic outcomes. At Penn, all patients should be first considered for a targeted temperature goal of 33 degrees Celsius. The targeted temperature should be achieved within four hours of obtaining ROSC, or return of spontaneous circulation, and maintained for 24 hours from the time the targeted temperature is achieved. If targeted temperature is not achieved within four hours, consider infusing four degrees Celsius normal saline during the initiation of TTM. You may also add ice packs to the groin or the axilla. The controversy in whether you should cool to 33 versus 36 degrees is very complex. Initial studies showed improved survival and neurologic outcomes at temperatures targeted between 32 and 34 degrees. More recently, a large multicenter randomized control trial suggested no difference in survival and neurologic outcomes with targeted temperature at 33 compared to 36 degrees. But at Penn, we stick to 33 degrees for several reasons. In animal models, Cooling has been shown to decrease brain inflammation as well as brain swelling. Once brain injury sets in, it's very hard to reverse. And 36 degrees is not necessarily better than 33 degrees, and overall the adverse events are similar between the two groups. However, there are certain times where picking 36 degrees may be beneficial. Cooling can prolong QT, so if the cardiac arrest was due to long QT from medications or inborn channelopathies, you may want to choose to manage that patient at 36 degrees. Cooling to 33 degrees can also induce a mild coagulopathy. If someone has arrested from a GI bleed, it would be reasonable to manage them at 36. If someone has a brain bleed, it would also be reasonable to target a temperature of 36 degrees. For example, if someone arrests and subsequently hits their head and a CT scan picks up a subdural hematoma or an intraparenchymal bleed, it would be reasonable to have a goal temperature of 36 degrees. Another reason to cool someone to 36 over 33 is if they've developed bradycardia 
and ha have hemodynamic consequences because of it. So now you've reached your targeted temperature. What do you want to watch for now? You should assess the pa patient for pain and agitation as you normally would for any critically ill patient who's intubated. We've already discussed that cooling can cause bradycardia and also coagulopathy. Hypothermia typically causes potassium to go into the cells causing hypokalemia. This also may be exacerbated by insulin administration for hyperglycemia. Similarly, you will see low magnesium, low calcium, and low phosphate. Hypothermia also induces diuresis and should be aggressively treated with fluid and electrolyte repletion. This means closely watching eyes and nose and electrolytes should be repleted appropriately. To replete electrolytes, use the electrolyte repletion order set within the TTM protocol. If the patient is on CRRT, use the CRRT order, repletion order set. Hypothermia can also cause a relative insulin resistance and hyperglycemia. Maintaining a glucose goal of 140 to 180 is reasonable and an insulin drip should be started. Patients can be managed with the critical care insulin infusion protocol. In some patients, especially brittle diabetics, their glucose may become very difficult to control. This is an instance where switching to 36 degrees may be needed, but should be discussed with your team. Hypothermia can also cause shivering, which can increase baseline metabolic activity and is associated with decreased brain oxygen availability and potentially worsen hypoxic ischemic brain injury. Surprisingly, this can occur at both 33 and 36 degree targets. Shivering should be aggressively managed after cardiac arrest. Nursing will use the bedside shivering assessment scale to assess for shivering. If shivering is found, there are two approaches to management. Shivering management can be implemented prophylactically, for example, with a continuous neuromuscular blockade starting at the onset of TTM and continued throughout TTM and also during the rewarming phase. Shivering management can also be implemented reactively by continuous monitoring for shivering and implementation of a stepwise algorithm when shivering is identified. Please refer to the PAN TTM guidelines for additional details. Now I'm going to talk about some other miscellaneous things to think about when patients are initiated on TTM. It is important to get a head CT as soon as possible. Typically, you will be able to get a portable head CT. It is also important to hook the patient up to continuous EEG as soon as possible. The patient will need a central line and an arterial line, and the partial pressure of carbon dioxide should be titrated between 35 to 45 to prevent cerebral vasoconstriction. If the patient requires heparin, cooling typically decreases your overall heparin needs, and the heparin drip should be started at 12 units per kilogram per hour instead of the standard 18. A significant drop in Arctic sun water temperature may be indicative of heat generation or a fever by the patient. This should prompt a fever workup and consider starting antibiotics if there are other signs of infection. Rewarming should begin at a minimum of 24 hours after targeted temperature has been reached. During rewarming, you can expect vasodilation and subsequent hypotension. 
Additionally, rewarming causes potassium to move out of the cells and may cause hyperkalemia. The potassium should be followed every six hours. The goal temperature during the rewarming phase is 37 degrees Celsius. Rewarming should be done gradually, not to exceed more than 0.33 degrees Celsius per hour. Once the patient has achieved normal thermia, maintain active normal thermia for a minimum of 48 to 72 hours post-rewarming phase. Hopefully, this was a helpful brief introduction to targeted temperature management and will help guide your care of patients after cardiac arrest.